Amazon has changed its tune a little bit and become a little more flexible, but still not as flexible as some of these other companies. So people look at more compensation, the ability to continue working remotely, and that has been pretty attractive. Why isn't this company imploding from all of this? I mean, really, how is it sticking together? John, haven't you memorized and tattooed the leadership principles on your upper thigh? I mean, come on. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We're coming to you from Seattle, where we get to report each day on what's happening around us in tech, science, and innovation. What happens here matters everywhere, and every week on this show, we talk about some of the biggest stories in the news. Coming up, we'll be going behind the scenes of Microsoft's HoloLens business and the company's effort to get into the metaverse. But first, let's talk about the big Amazon news of the week. We are pleased to be joined this week by somebody who's been breaking some of those stories. Ashley Stewart is a Seattle-based senior tech correspondent for the news site Insider. She reports on Microsoft and Amazon. Ashley, it's great to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to see you guys. So you've been reporting on Microsoft's HoloLens with some of your colleagues and also a few months ago, in fact, last year, you were reporting on the executive exodus that led to Amazon's big news of the week, the announcement that it will be more than doubling its base pay for its corporate and tech workers. Can you take us back to last year and what was happening around the time of the transition from Jeff Bezos as CEO to Andy Jassy, what you were reporting and what you heard about how executives who were leaving felt about the compensation at Amazon at the time. Yeah, so that's exactly right. I think around the time the transition was even announced, that's when we started hearing about some folks leaving or thinking of leaving. And they cited all kinds of reasons for doing that. But one of them was pay. And I think Amazon has always said like, it hires missionaries, not mercenaries. You guys have probably heard that term. So people who are very mission focused and maybe care less about compensation in the long run. And I think with the transition of executives, it started to look a little bit more like the mission was uncertain. A lot of folks would push back about that. But at least some of the people we were talking to, that was kind of the feeling. And then so maybe compensation became (laughs) a little bit more interesting. Some of these offers from other folks, you know, to this day, we're hearing about Amazon executives going to competitors and startups getting like 100%, 50% more. So Amazon really started to have to compete and look at its compensation. It really struck me looking back at that story that you and your colleague Eugene Kim wrote last year. This is a real cultural shift for Amazon. And it really speaks, I think, to the changes under Andy Jassy and maybe a more mature company in good ways and bad ways for Amazon in that, as you said, they really wanted these executives to believe in the mission and be there because it was changing the world. And certainly they still are doing that. But at the same time, when Microsoft and Google and Apple and others are paying so much more in terms of base pay, it feels like this was almost something Amazon had to do. And the aura of Jeff Bezos was no longer there to kind of sustain this notion of being able to to get less and, and still get a lot out of folks. I cover primarily the cloud division, Amazon Web Services. And of course, when Jassy became the overall Amazon CEO, they brought back in a former AWS executive. And it seems like his sort of marching orders have been to stay the course, which you've seen a lot of success from the company. So that makes sense. But I think 
it did make a lot of folks in there just think about the future direction of the company and and what they wanted to do. So Ashley, with this exodus of talent, you reported on that last year. Have you seen it continue into the fourth quarter, the first quarter? Yeah, I think we're still seeing it continue today. And that's what's really interesting about this change in comp. Um, You know, we're having a story come out today or this week that looks at some of the actual changes for employees. So, of course, this change was to double the maximum salary, but it's not as if most of Amazon's employees are going to get that salary. So we wanted to look at some of the actual changes and It will still take until about April before employees get their compensation reviews and find out how much money they'll actually make. But right now, as of yesterday, some managers received pay bans, so the range that employees can be paid. And we we got some of those and found for some positions, maybe like a dozen positions, there were increases in the pay ranges between 10 and 30%. And of course, we just have a small sampling, but that gives you an idea of how much of a raise some of these folks are going to get. If they perform well and are eligible for a raise, there are all kinds of sort of caveats. But of course, as we talked about earlier, some of the offers they're seeing from competitors are like doubling their salaries. Right. So if you're a software engineer or top executive at Amazon and you want a negotiating tactic here, you probably want to wait a couple months and see how this plays out, get your pay raise, (laughs) and then go back to Meta or Salesforce, or, you know, the billion dollar unicorn startup, and then get even more exorbitant pay, right? Is that a good strategy or not? Exactly right. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think, you know, my colleague, Catherine Long, who has broken a lot of news around this as well, she, she spoke to someone who basically was looking at it in the opposite way, like, we may get raises in April, but kind of I'm not going to wait around to find out. So it remains to be seen if people will actually wait to see what those raises are or if they'll in the meantime, you know, take a bigger offer if it comes. In your reporting, how much have you picked up on the culture of Amazon and these ranks of, of folks, whether they're in the software engineering core or in the executive ranks of them really kind of still being bought into, you know, the day one culture of Amazon? Or has it really shifted, as Todd was alluding to? Oddly enough, I think the biggest thing that I hear from people when they're leaving Amazon, in addition to pay, but also when you're talking about you know more rank-and-file software engineers, Amazon's stance on working from home has been a big deal, which is that they're you know maybe a little bit more strict about wanting employees to get back into the office. And Amazon has changed its tune a little bit and become a little more flexible, but still not as flexible as some of these other companies. So people look at more compensation, the ability to continue working remotely, and that has been pretty attractive. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, at Amazon, the culture, it's pretty hard charging. They are, as Ashley says, you know, a little more restrictive on what you can and can't do on work from home. It's certainly not a remote first culture. They pay far less than all you know, most of the competition. And, you know, they churn through a lot of folks. So it just seems like, why isn't this company imploding from all of this? I mean, really, how is it sticking together through all that? It just seems so strange to me. John, haven't you memorized and tattooed the leadership principles on your upper thigh? I mean, come on. <laughs> Let's quiz Ashley. We'll put you on the spot, Ashley. This was, and I actually forget the answer. So we did the Geek Wire trivia competition at the end of the year. How many Amazon leadership principles are there? Currently. Currently. Are there 14 now? There were 12? 
I think that's right, isn't it, Todd? Is it fourteen or no? I think there's sixteen now. Oh gosh! Now, are you going to make me? Are you going to make me Google it? <laughs> I'm looking at them, but they don't number them anymore. No, it's sixteen now. It's sixteen now. Okay, it's sixteen yeah. now. The nuances here are really interesting, Ashley. I think you made a really good point. The new cap of three hundred and fifty thousand base pay is the maximum. The maximum was previously one hundred and sixty thousand, but these folks are not necessarily going to get the maximum. And so what you're saying is that the increases on average in terms of the overall pay bands, they're not up to that level. They're, they're not in general up to that level. It seems like the 350 is going to be pretty extraordinary is what you're saying. Yeah, a lot of folks expect that's going to be for executives for these really, you know, sort of top tier employees, high ranking employees. And I have to tell you, you know, most of the people we talk to are pretty skeptical that they'll see much of a change at all. Of course, we saw, you know, some of these pay bands that are 10 to 30 percent higher. So that would suggest that like some people are going to see a raise. But of course, as I mentioned before, there are so many variables you know, your pay range can change based on your location. So where you work, your level, of course, which is a, an entire system, and then your performance. So a lot of these will be tied as Amazon compensation seems to be in general to performance reviews. So there are some folks who are in the lower tier of performance r- reviews who may not see an increase at all, even though, you know, these um, pay bands, as they're called, are changing. John, I think this gets directly to your culture question. The question becomes, is Amazon's top leadership truly on the side of all of these vice presidents and engineers, the folks who are going to be subject to these pay increases, or is it trying to sort of wave its hands and make a big show of this and say, hey, we're going to be paying you a lot more, but then the realities are going to be very different? I think that to me is the question. Will they be able to cast this spell over this workforce that Jeff Bezos was able to do and get them to stick around, even though the realities of what they're going to be giving them won't be as much as the maximum that they've touted in this memo. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, they are striving to be Earth's best employers. So, you know, that is that leadership principle (laughs) that that they added. That's one of the two new leadership principles that they now have up to 16. So if you're striving to do it, you know, I, I I like how it's not we're going to be. It's the striving to be. Ashley, the other part of this, when you and Catherine Long, who you mentioned, reported about this a few months ago, and the fact that compensation changes were coming, they were talking about a bunch of different things, a bunch of different ideas to potentially overhaul their overall compensation, because they also have, of course, stock awards and bonuses. There were different levers that they can pull Have you gotten a sense from your reporting at all as to why they focused primarily on the base pay as opposed to some of these other things they were considering? Well, I think, you know, base pay is important because to some degree it's guaranteed, whereas stock, you know, can vary over time. So that was a big pain point, I guess, for a lot of the employees. We reported on this survey in which employees said that low base pay was basically one of the top reasons they would consider leaving the company. So it seems like Amazon had to do something about base pay. With that said, I've talked to some folks who say, you know, without changes to how stock grants are awarded, that it doesn't it doesn't mean that much for them. So it remains to be seen if they'll do anything about that, because that definitely is something employees seem to want to see. How much do you think this is being driven by the funny out of control market we're seeing? I mean, the valuations 
last year on startup companies and public companies in the tech sector just absolutely skyrocketed. And now in the last, you know, when we're talking to the startups and venture capitalists, everyone's running so scared now because they're like, oh my God, valuations are, are falling. And I'm wondering like, you know, it's kind of a dynamic that the management team at Amazon has to play out. Like, gosh, if if the valuations continue to fall at some of these privately held billion dollar companies that can wave all this stock out there and maybe the dynamic changes there, can we just hold on to these people long enough, let the market creator and then we're still seen as a place that's safe to work because we're massive Amazon with tons of cash. To your point, John, the share price of Amazon has declined steadily by about 30% over the past nine months or so. And so, right. But I think they can stomach it versus some of these other companies that might not be able to as well. And I, I don't know, just, and, and if, and if the public markets freeze up, then, I mean, there's a lot of what ifs there, but I'm just saying Amazon has the ability to stomach this more than a, a startup company where a lot of these folks are going because they want to go as, you know, from Ashley's reporting, they want to go and they want to get into the C-suite. They want to become CEOs or high level executives at companies and run something on their own. But in the meantime, that stock component of the typical employee or engineers or vice president's overall compensation package is not worth as much. So then they had to adjust by making more of it certain. Yeah. I don't know. Ashley, any thoughts on that just in terms of if the market dries up for where this talent could go, maybe they'll stay with Amazon? You know, I don't really have a good read on that. But one thing I would say just about the market that we're hearing a lot is Amazon itself and and others, Microsoft HoloLens, which we'll talk about later. We hear a lot of these managers say, oh, this is just because of the great resignation. Like this is happening everywhere. And at least in Amazon's case, we've talked to some folks who talk about this rate of attrition, which some of our sources say that in some parts of Amazon, like in certain parts of its cloud business is 35% which is just very high compared to previous years. And you would think higher than the rate at other companies for the this so-called great resignation. Why does Amazon do that? I mean, I, it's not do it. I guess, why does that happen at Amazon, do you think? And how does it sustain itself? It gets back to my implosion question. I mean, how do you sustain yourself as an organization when you're going through that level of churn on your employee base? Yeah, I think that's going to be the big challenge for Andy Jassy, for Adam Salipsky, the new AWS CEO. I think right when the transition happened and we started to see more people leaving, I think that's a big question that they're going to have to answer. <laughs> it's always surprised me because you've heard the stories certainly around Seattle of the churn rate at Amazon, and it just doesn't seem sustainable. And maybe this is a way to kind of patch it up, and but it's been there for a long time. and doesn't seem to go away, but I don't know. I just It surprises me that the company's done as well as it has with that level of churn in their workforce. That's really interesting because one thing that we're hearing now that may be different is actually it's difficult for Amazon to hire. So if I had to guess looking over time at how they've dealt with this problem, if, you know, as you're saying, it's been a problem for that long, like maybe it was it was easier to hire. There was more of a lure to Amazon for Amazon. And now, yeah, we're hearing that they have, at least within AWS, they have really aggressive hiring targets and recruiters just basically can't get people to sign on. So maybe that's what's different these days. To this point, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe Amazon has a two-year signing bonus that's standard with most of their job offers. And that's part of the overall compensation package. And then that gets doled out to folks 
in cash, essentially, as they stick around for two years. I was actually surprised that that portion of the compensation package didn't change because one thing that would help in terms of attrition and retention is keeping people around for longer than two years. Yeah, I I think we're seeing a lot of employees who are asking for that. We often hear about like the four-year cliff, which is when people leave when they stop getting those payouts. Um, So I think a lot of employees do want that to happen. As you mentioned, Ashley, you've also been digging into Microsoft's HoloLens business. You had a couple stories on the state of that business and what it says about where Microsoft is in this whole realm of the metaverse. Let's talk about that right after this break. You're listening to GeekWire, and we will be right back. I wanted a career in IT, but I didn't know where to start. WGU makes it simple. Their accredited online degree programs cover all kinds of IT specialties, and they have valuable industry certifications built in at no extra cost. The payoff? Having those certs back up my degree makes me look even better to future employers. A nonprofit university that includes top industry certs in their programs? I choose WGU. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. Our guest this week is Ashley Stewart, a senior technology correspondent at Insider based in Seattle. We've been talking about Amazon and its new higher maximum base pay, but let's shift across Lake Washington to Microsoft and the company's HoloLens business. Ashley, I was there at the very beginning when they introduced this, not when they started developing it, obviously, but at the first public unveiling of HoloLens. It's coming up on nine, 10 years, I think, since they first introduced this whole idea of mixed reality headsets. This is not just virtual reality, but there's a transparency to the headset that allows the technology to essentially place objects in the environment around you. And this is led by a Microsoft engineer and technical fellow named Alex Kipman, who has a real history with Microsoft dating back uh, to innovations like the Kinect, motion-sensitive controller for Xbox. This business inside is not necessarily as it seems from the outside based on your reporting. What have you found out about the state of Microsoft's HoloLens business from your reporting in recent weeks and months? Microsoft has a unit that's called the Mixed Reality Unit. So it runs HoloLens, but also things like its new vision for the metaverse, um, a mixed reality software platform called Mesh. And basically, it it seems like a unit that's trying to figure itself out. We spoke to a lot of employees uh, who described some turmoil within the unit a lot of fogginess as it relates to the direction and what the company's priorities should be in the space. And I think the big thing that came out of that that we learned is Microsoft was working on the third version of the device, the HoloLens 3. And in the midst of all these changing priorities, it decided to scrap its plans for that device. And it's looking into, instead, it's working on a project for the military to build a similar device. We found out that it has a partnership with Samsung to develop a device. And also it has a very nascent project um, looking at a cloud-based mixed reality headset. Now, you also reported about the next version of HoloLens, which would be HoloLens 3. And the company pushed back on some of your reporting on that. Can you help us sort through what you reported, what the company is saying, uh, and Alex Kipman's response to that, to the extent that you can from a, from a neutral perspective? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. So I think there's just sort of a semantics thing (laughs) happening here. So the HoloLens 3 obviously doesn't exist. So we can only talk about the plans for the HoloLens 3, which we found out was a project called Project Calypso, um, which was basically going to be set up the same as the first two HoloLenses. It would operate on a special version of Windows. They would make, you know, some changes to it, like making it be able to be used outside That is what they canceled. They canceled their plans for the third HoloLens. So after the story published, Alex Kipman, who you mentioned runs this unit, came out and just said, basically, you know, don't don't believe what you read on the Internet. The HoloLens is is strong. The HoloLens business is strong. Um, I'm paraphrasing, of course but kind of throwing cold water on the fact that there won't be a HoloLens 3. And so I think that's where some of the ambiguity comes in. Microsoft may very well someday release something that it calls the HoloLens 3. What we're reporting on is the current version, the current plans, well, as of last year at this point. And at this time, they, we're told, have no plans for a, a device that would look like what we know as the HoloLens. So where does this leave Microsoft in this whole race to invent or define or create the the metaverse, this virtual world that Meta, Facebook's parent company, and uh, all sorts of other different tech companies, including Microsoft, are are trying to pursue? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, as you mentioned, um, there's Meta. So Facebook kind of put everything behind the metaverse so much so that it changed its name. We're hearing, well, we're rather reading reports that Apple is working on its own mixed reality headset. So a ton of companies are putting a ton into the so-called metaverse. I think with the HoloLens, Microsoft was an early leader in this space. And so, you know, a lot of people expected maybe when this came around that Microsoft would be leading it. But I think it's struggling with what a lot of companies are struggling with, which is what is the metaverse? What do we want to do about it? What is the metaverse? <laughs> and what do we want to do about it? <laughs> more, more specifically, what do you want to do about it? What are, are you like, what are your feelings on it in terms of promise, reality versus hype on this? One of my favorite quotes that was in one of our stories was so many people are looking into mixed reality and and the metaverse, but they haven't really figured out what it is, right? They're just getting into it. So I think all of that remains to be seen. And that's why you're seeing some of the confusion inside a company like Microsoft. And I think a lot of people disagree on on what it should be as we're seeing within this unit and an exodus that it's had of engineers with canceled projects. The crazy thing about it and it ties into the whole Web3 movement as well. It's like the whole idea is supposed to be this like decentralized world. And you got these giant tech companies like Microsoft and Facebook <laughs> battling over what's what this is going to be. And it's like kind of goes against the part of the premise of the thing. So Ashley mentioned one of her favorite quotes from the story. And I was going to say, I think my favorite quote from the follow-up story was that Alex Kipman's response, according to one of your sources, was complete BS. (laughs) So it sounds like people did really come out of the woodwork in response to his denial, as you said. I heard from a lot of folks who didn't think that that captured the situation or, you know, the plans for the project. A lot of people were upset about Calypso the HoloLens 3 being canceled. When it happened, you know, there were departures right away. And so while, as I've said before, there may very well be, you know, a future HoloLens, a lot of people have looked at it like it's giving up on this project. And and that upset a lot of folks. So yeah, I I definitely heard from quite a few. (laughs) It's interesting because Microsoft's vision in this realm has always been a little bit different and unique. And it took them a while to get there. 
but they had this whole enterprise focus, business focus, which seems to play much more into Microsoft's strengths. One of the first little applications that I tried was this idea that you would put on a HoloLens and an electrician would lead you through the process of switching out some electrical panel by annotating the scene in front of you. Literally, you could look through the lens and see the scene in front of you. Are they still focusing on those kinds of practical real-world applications, or are you picking up signs that they're being pushed to get more into the consumer realm and video games and everything that they might do with Activision Blizzard, for example. So that sounds like a big point of contention within Microsoft. There are people who say, let's, you know, double down on enterprise, kind of, you know, take that special focus that they've had that maybe differentiated them in the market. Other companies are getting into that focus. But within HoloLens, I think there are a lot of folks who are really interested in getting into the consumer side of things, not to mention there are all of these other projects like the partnership with Samsung, like the project for the military that compete with those aspirations. To the bigger point and hearkening back to what we were talking about with Amazon, I would not be surprised if in another six months there's some kind of shakeup in this group or an announcement about something different that they're going to be doing that lines up with some of the internal conflict that you've been reporting. They'll buy magically next. You know, that's a good point, John. I don't think they'll do that necessarily, although I wouldn't rule it out. But Peggy you Johnson, got Peggy Johnson over there yeah. is the CEO. She was formerly a Microsoft executive. And that would be a page straight out of the Balmer Elop Nokia playbook, which they probably would not like me pointing out. But essentially, an executive <laughs> leaves, runs a new company, and then comes back and gets acquired. I, I think, obviously, Peggy Johnson has a much different track record at Magic Leap so far than Stephen Elop did at Nokia, but that's a whole other story. Microsoft's quite acquisitive these days. They sure are. We're going to take one more quick break. When we come back, Ashley, I want to compare these two companies from the perspective of reporting and what it's like to deal with them as an indication of their internal cultures. We'll do that coming up next. You're listening to GeekWire. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. Our guest this week is Ashley Stewart, senior technology reporter at Insider. So Ashley, you and I, and John to some extent as well, we cover both Microsoft and Amazon. And I think the answer to this question has probably evolved over the years, but I have some specific thoughts on the differences between interacting with these two companies as a reporter. But I'd love to start with your observations. How would you compare and contrast what it's like to cover these two companies and to interact with them? I'm really interested in your thoughts on this as well and how it's evolved over time, because I would say right now, 
it seems like there's a much greater volume of reporters covering Amazon, whereas with Microsoft, there are reporters who have covered Microsoft for a really long time. Certainly that's true at Amazon as well, but it seems like with the volume of reporters, there are some newer folks too. So I think since Microsoft has worked with a lot of the same reporters over time, it sort of has a system that it expects and, you know, a way that it expects to be covered. But I'm really curious to hear your thoughts having covered them for so long. There's a few differences. Microsoft seems to be a little bit more mature about things in that I think they're just resigned to the fact that not all coverage about them is going to be exactly how they view themselves. And whether it's positive or negative, I think they understand that people externally are going to view them differently than they might project internally. Amazon still seems to be pushing to square the two. And in the instances when somebody like you or we or somebody else reports something that is at odds with their own corporate self-view, they are much, much more likely to push back and to disagree and push for change and corrections. There was some great reporting by the information about the internal PR mechanism and the way that they respond to things at Amazon that they consider inaccurate. And it's much more programmed into their culture to try and correct the world's perception about them. Todd, that's super interesting. I've got my own theory on this, just hearing that. I think that's, I think that's right on the mark. So here's, here's my theory. Microsoft is at least three executives removed from their founder, and Amazon still has the legacy of their founder overriding the corporate culture. And the founders take it personally. This is personal. You write something negative about them, and a trained executive realizes like they have more battle scars. Uh, um, and well, they have different battle scars, I'd say. and and they know how to adjust to that criticism. So that's my theory. I do think it depends on the team at Microsoft and the situation. And there are certain moments when it gets escalated and they will really push back, but they push back in a much different way than Amazon does. It's a little more subtle. It's a little more disappointment than outrage. There's more acceptance and less denial. And it's just more mature. It's not necessarily better or worse. And John, to your point, I think at Amazon, it's not only what Jeff Bezos might have thought, it was even worse because it was what the people internally perceived he might have thought and anticipated he would react to and preemptively went out and battled on behalf of. <laughs> right. Back in the day with Bill Gates running Microsoft, wasn't that similar? I think so. I'm trying to think back, but yes, it was much more of a, a war mentality versus a cost of doing business acknowledgement in general. Right. So right. no, I think that's I think that's right on the mark. And and then the last little nuance here is Microsoft relies heavily on primarily a single outside public relations and communications agency. We Worldwide, formerly known as Wagner Edstrom, formerly shorthanded as WagEd. They no longer call themselves that. It's We. And I think that creates a certain level of system that puts this stuff into a machine 
takes the different interactions with reporters and kind of standardizes them to an extent that Amazon doesn't with its more scrappy approach to PR. I find that as well. And I think like that volume thing is true for Amazon's PR team, right? Like I deal with a bunch of different folks when I'm talking to Amazon and it might be far fewer. I think, you know, Microsoft just having been around longer and established these relationships, it's much more relationship based. Whereas, you know, I get emails from people from all over Amazon and it just seems it just seems like you're dealing often with a bigger team. Do you get more or less leaks from Amazon or Microsoft from inside? I would say it obviously always depends on the topic. And then I think, as you guys know, with source building, it also depends on where your attention is focused at any given time, because it's not always that people are just sending us all of this inbound stuff. You have to check in with people. And so I think that varies a lot as well. Well, hearing you talk about the PR machines at these gigantic trillion dollar (laughs) companies makes me (laughs) thankful that I spent most of my career covering startups and venture capital where you just talk directly to the founder or CEO and don't have to deal with the crap. But hats off to you. It's an important important job you do, you all do. Theoretically, John. Theoretically. I don't know. I've run into plenty of startups. It's with their true. Own. Well, on the startup front, yeah, on the startup front, what you'll often run into is just pure cluelessness. Like they've never dealt with a reporter ever in their life. So it's a whole nother challenge. It's like you're in the business of doing media training for the people you're talking to often. I think the glimpse that reporters get into these companies speaks to their broader culture, but I'll let folks out there decide what they're going to take away about Amazon and Microsoft respectively from our experiences covering them and interacting with their communications machines. Hey, Ashley, this is great. Thank you so much for joining us. Great reporting on both Amazon and HoloLens. And we appreciate you being here and talking to us about it. Thanks so much for having me. It's a lot of fun. Ashley Stewart is a Seattle-based senior tech correspondent for the news site Insider. She reports on Microsoft and Amazon. We will link to all of the coverage on Insider that we talked about on this week's show. Thanks for listening to GeekWire. Our podcast producer is Kurt Milton. Our theme music is by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We'll be back next week with a new episode of GeekWire. GeekWire.